Doesn't it seem like when it comes to nutrition, there are more opinions than facts to go around? Every day we hear new theories about diets and supplements and the best foods to eat. My role is to take the mystery out of good nutrition and look at the science. Welcome to the Nutrition Facts Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger, and I'm here to bring you an evidence-based approach to the best way to live a healthier, longer life. <clears throat> Our focus today is on improving children's diets. Did you know that only about 1 in 500 children eat the equivalent of a single leaf of romaine lettuce a day? If we could increase the intake of whole fruits and vegetables, we could cut down on a wide range of childhood diseases. In our first study, we looked at the effects of sulforaphane, the compound found in broccoli, on autism. You may remember my series of videos about the engine of aging enzyme TOR. Well, kids with autism tend to have higher TOR activity in their bodies, and this hyperactive TOR signaling may actually play a role in causing autism, making TOR a potential target to treat autism, or even theoretically reverse it if we could target downstream TOR signaling, uh, like between TOR and S6K1. Well, that's actually one of the ways broccoli compounds kills off prostate cancer cells, by inhibiting the signal transduction between TOR and S6K1. Breast cancer, too. Sulforaphane is a potent inhibitor of breast cancer cells because it targets downstream elements of the TOR pathway. So if we gave broccoli to those with autism, if it blocks TOR, maybe it would block some of the synaptic dysfunction that contributes to the features of autism, and that's in addition to blocking autism pathways for other ways— oxidative stress and lower antioxidant capacity, the mitochondrial dysfunction, the brain inflammation. And not just in a petri dish, sulforaphane can cross the blood-brain barrier. You eat broccoli, and sulforaphane quickly reaches your brain to exert its protective effects, in theory. But you don't know until you put it to the test. But now you can understand why such a study could attract researchers from leading institutions, Harvard, Hopkins, uh, get published in one of our most prestigious journals, Penis, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, but what did they find? Well, first, what did they do? A placebo-controlled, double-blind, randomized trial, young men, ages 13 through 27, with moderate to severe autism received sulforaphane from broccoli sprouts, or an indistinguishable sugar pill. They were dosed according to body weight. Those under 100 pounds got about a tablespoon of broccoli sprouts worth of sulforaphane a day, which is about a cup's worth of broccoli. Between 100 and 200 pounds got about two cups of broccoli's worth, or two tablespoons of fresh broccoli sprouts. And the big boys got three cups worth a day, of a, or a little under a quarter cup of broccoli sprouts. Why didn't they just use actual broccoli or actual sprouts? because then you couldn't have a blinded study. The, the patients, doctors, and parents would know who's getting the special treatment and who's not, and that could introduce bias just through the placebo effect. So instead, no one knew until the end who got the sulforaphane and who just got nothing in a pill. They chose dietary sulforaphane because of its capacity to reverse oxidation, dysfunction, inflammation. Yeah, but, uh, but when put to the test, did it actually work? Well, the placebo didn't give people with autism nothing, and nothing much happens, but effectively 
secretly sneak them some broccoli, and substantial improvements in behavior, social interaction, and verbal communication, but it all disappeared once the broccoli stopped. Similar findings for a social responsiveness scale, significant improvements until the treatment was stopped, and then caught right back up to how poorly those in the placebo group continued to function. And these weren't just scores on a page. The substantial improvements were conspicuous. The doctors could see it. Their parents and caregivers could see the improvements. No drug has ever been shown to have these kinds of effects. And look, these were young men starting age you know, 13. One could imagine it working as well or even better for younger children because their brain is still developing. And look, uh, what's the downside? Uh, broccoli sprouts are widely consumed all over the world without any reports of adverse effects. Uh, now remember, we're talking about whole foods, not broccoli or sulfofane supplements. Remember I did videos about them? You know, broccoli sprouts work, commercial broccoli sprout supplements hardly at all. Broccoli has sulforaphane, florets more than the stems. Broccoli sprouts has like 10 times more, but broccoli pills, powders, and supplements have little or none. So, broccoli and cruciferous vegetables for all kids, autism or not, and hey, maybe pregnant women as well for potential prenatal prevention of autism in the first place. In our next story, the equivalent of a dusting of nutritional yeast is put to the test for the prevention of common childhood illnesses. In 1989, the late Charles Janeway gave a presentation that was to revolutionize our understanding of the immune system. He proposed that we, we must have some ancient innate first line of defense. Uh, we knew about vaccination for centuries, how our bodies can learn from past infections, but he figured that's not good enough. Our body must have evolved some way to recognize foreign invaders the first time they invade. He proposed that the way our immune cells discriminate between self and non-self, our own cells versus invading microbes, may arise from pattern recognition receptors. Uh, we're just born with the ability to recognize patterns of microbial structure. For example, there's a unique component of fungal cell walls that naturally stimulates our immune system called beta-glucan. Our own cells don't produce it, but fungal pathogens like candida do. Candida is a type of yeast that can cause serious blood infections, so, so it's a good idea. Our immune system recognizes it right off the bat. So yeah, you could stimulate your immune system injecting candida into your veins, but then you might also die. Luckily for us, non-disease-causing yeasts like Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is what baker's yeast is, and brewer's yeast, and nutritional yeast, also have that same molecular signature, that beta-glucan. So the drug industry is all excited about capitalizing on this powerful immunostimulatory response to develop new anti-infection, anti-cancer therapies. But yeah, but does it have to be injected into the vein? What happens if you just eat some nutritional yeast? Our digestive tract is our largest point of contact with the outside world, more surface area exposed than our lungs and skin put together. And so not surprisingly, most of our immune cells are concentrated along our intestinal wall. But they don't just stay there. Once they're tipped off to what's happening in the gut, 
then go off to defend other parts of the body. That's why you can give an oral cholera vaccine, for example, and end up with cholera-fighting immune cells in your salivary glands, pumping out antibodies into your saliva to protect against infection. So what if we sprinkled some nutritional yeast on our kids' popcorn for a snack? Might that help martial defenses throughout their bodies? Adults tend to just get a few colds a year, but the average school child can come down with a cold every other month. And what can we really do about it? Modern medicine has little to offer for run-of-the-mill common colds. Nevertheless, doctors still commonly prescribe antibiotics, which can do more harm than good. Clearly, there's a need for effective, safe, and inexpensive treatments, and beta-glucan may be just the right solution, but you don't know until you put it to the test. So researchers performed a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial of about a half a teaspoon of nutritional yeast worth of beta-glucan in children who suffered from like, repeated respiratory infections, and after a month found a significant increase in salivary lysozyme levels compared to control. Lysozyme is an important protective immune component of our eyes, nose, and mouth, but a larger follow-up study reported the opposite findings, an apparent drop in salivary lysozyme levels. Though the researchers claimed that this was accompanied by pronounced improvements in general physical health, no data is given. Um, but the only reason we care about the lysozyme levels, though, is we were hoping it would result in fewer infections, uh, but that had never been directly studied until now. The title kind of gives it away, but basically a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial was performed to see if just a, a dusting of nutritional yeast worth of beta-glucan a day could reduce the number of episodes of common childhood illnesses. During the 12-week course of the study, 85% of children in the placebo group experienced one or more episodes of infectious illness. 85% got ill in the sugar pill group but just uh, taking like an eighth of a teaspoon of nutritional yeast worth of beta-glucans, or, or even just a sixteenth of a teaspoon's worth, appeared to cut illness rates in half. And those on the yeast that did come down with a cold only suffered for about three days, compared to more than like nine days in the placebo group. The researchers conclude that by giving kids these yeast beta-glucans, we could decrease the incidence and severity of infectious illness during the cold and flu season, and thereby benefit the parents as well. Finally today, we look at how PBDE flame-retardant chemicals in the food supply may contribute to attention and cognitive deficits in children. The results of the Chamaco study were published recently, the Center for the Health Assessment of Mothers and Children of Salinas Valley, California, investigating the relationship between the exposure to flame-retardant chemical pollutants in pregnancy and childhood and subsequent neurobehavioral development. Why California? Because California children's exposure to these chemicals are among the highest in the world, uh, considered to be endocrine disruptors and neurotoxins. What did they find? Both prenatal and childhood exposures to these chemicals were associated with poorer attention, fine motor coordination, and cognition, particularly verbal comprehension, by the time they reached school age. This study, the largest to date, contributes to growing evidence suggesting that these PBDE flame-retardant chemicals have adverse impacts on child neurobehavioral development, and the adverse effects may extend into adolescence again affecting motor function as well as thyroid gland function, something that may extend 
into adulthood. These chemicals get into the moms, and then get into the amniotic fluid, and then into the breast milk. And the more that's in the milk, the worse may be the infant's mental development. Breast is still best, but how did these women get exposed in the first place? The question, is exposure mostly from diet or from dust? Uh, researchers in Boston collected breast milk samples from 46 first-time moms, vacuumed up samples of dust from their homes, and questioned them about their diets. Uh, they found that both were likely to blame. Diet-wise, a number of animal products were implicated. That's consistent with what's been found worldwide. For example, in Europe, these flame-retardant chemical pollutants are found mostly in fish, uh, meat, and other animal products. It's similar to what you see with dioxins, fish, and other fatty foods, with a plant-based diet offering the lowest exposure. Well, if that's the case, then you know, do vegetarians have lower levels of flame-retardant chemical pollutants circulating in their bloodstreams? Yes. Uh, vegetarians had about 25% lower levels. Uh, poultry appeared to be the worst. USDA researchers compared the levels in different meats, and the highest levels were found in chicken and turkey, uh, with less in pork and even less in beef. California poultry had the highest, consistent with strict furniture flammability codes. But it's not like chickens are pecking at the sofa. Chickens and turkeys may be indirectly exposed through the application of sewer sludge to fields where feed crops are raised, contamination of water supplies, the use of flame-retardant uh, materials in poultry housing, or the inadvertent incorporation of fire-retarded material into the bird's bedding or feed ingredients. Now, fish have been shown to have the highest levels overall, but Americans don't eat a lot of fish, and so they don't contribute as much to the total body burden in the United States. Uh, where did the vegans end up? Well, we know the intake of many other classes of pollutants is almost exclusively from the ingestion of animal fats in the diet. Uh, so what if you take them all out of the diet? Well, it works for dioxins, vegan dioxin, levels appear markedly lower than the general population. But what about for the flame-retardant chemicals? Uh, this tendency for chemical levels to decline the longer one eats plant-based suggests that food of animal origin contributes substantially. Uh, but note the levels never got down to zero, right? so diet is not the only source. The USDA researchers note that there are currently no regulatory limits on the amount of flame-retardant chemical contamination in U.S. foods. But look, reducing the levels of unnecessary persistent toxic compounds in our diet is certainly desirable. We would love it if you could share with us your stories about reinventing your health through evidence-based nutrition. Go to nutritionfacts.org slash testimonials. We may be able to share it on our social media to help inspire others. To see any graphs, charts, graphics, images, or studies mentioned here, please go to the Nutrition Facts podcast landing page. There you'll find all the detailed information you need, plus links to all the sources we cite for each of these topics. For recipes, check out my How Not to Die cookbook. It's beautifully designed, with more than 100 recipes for delicious and nutritious meals. And all the proceeds I receive from the sales of all my books goes to charity. 
NutritionFacts.org is a nonprofit, science-based public service where you can sign up for free daily updates on the latest in nutrition research via bite-sized videos and articles. Everything on the website is free. There's no ads, no corporate sponsorship, strictly non-commercial. I'm not selling anything. I just put it up as a public service as a labor of love, as a tribute to my grandmother, whose own life was saved with evidence-based nutrition. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Facts. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger.